For Champions of Growth, part of the ANA Podcast Network, I'm Matthew Schwartz. Like moths to a flame, brands have started to swirl around the metaverse, an online virtual reality space in which users can interact with each other and their environs. Born of the gaming universe and programs like Fortnite, the metaverse has been taking up a lot of the oxygen on Madison Avenue lately. Facebook is betting big on the technology, about $10 billion worth. But it's anyone's guess whether the metaverse will be a game changer or go the way of MySpace and the ash heap of web history. However things shake out, the metaverse adds to an already complex landscape for CMOs and marketers when it comes to brand safety and making sure their advertising doesn't end up next to retuberative content online. Metaverse or not, the web remains the digital equivalent of the Wild West, with little to no regulation and an anything-goes mindset among bad actors. So it's crucial that CMOs enter any web platform these days with their eyes wide open. Here to discuss how CMOs sharpen their brand safety strategy is Mary Engel, Executive Vice President at BBB National Programs, a nonprofit organization that oversees more than a dozen national industry self-regulation programs. Prior to joining BBB National Programs in 2020, Mary directed the Division of Advertising Practices at the Federal Trade Commission. Mary, welcome. Thanks, Matthew. Delighted to be here. Wanted to get to the metaverse in a second, but for starters, can you think of a comparable moment in recent marketing and ad history when there was a lot of hype and companies may have gotten burned? What are the lessons from a brand safety standpoint? Yeah, sure. Actually, you know, thinking back over 50 years ago, when television had arrived in most American households, advertisers had found a powerful way of reaching virtually everyone in the entire country. And along with advertising their old favorites and innovative new products came, unfortunately, some advertising making false promises, bogus claims, to the point that the consumer advocates and really the whole consumer movement was calling on the government, on the Federal Trade Commission, to put the reins on advertisers and pull back hard. Um, The advertising industry realized it had a a serious PR problem and that this proliferation of misleading advertising was was really hurting and needed to do something. So the ANA, along with the other ad trade associations, got together and decided to create independent industry self-regulatory program. And that became the National Advertising Review Board and the National Advertising Division to adjudicate allegations of false advertising. Those are programs that exist to this day and are administered by BBB National Programs where I work. And, you know, it's really a successful example of advertisers raising the bar on themselves rather than racing to the bottom. So let's fast forward roughly 80 years or so and talk about the metaverse. For marketers who are considering you know, getting into the space, and it seems like there's a scramble right now, uh, what should their top priorities be? I, I think top priority has to be building in considerations of brand safety from the very beginning. You know, I really see that all of the problems that it, the brand safety problems that exist now in the digital platform space, it's going to be like going on steroids in the metaverse, things like bullying, sexual harassment, predation, hate speech, you know, they're just going to be there. So I think advertisers have to think about if they're advertising in a virtual reality game or, or other space that they need to find out whether that game has adequate guardrails in place 
to keep its users safe, um, especially children. And even if children aren't allowed, do they have effective ways of keeping children out? Because obviously kids often end up where they're not supposed to be. Are there easy ways for users to report problems? Because if the game or other space where an advertiser is thinking of going can't show that it can take care of these basics, then it will not be a safe place for advertisers. And I do want to come back to kids' safety in a bit, but just staying in this lane, does it serve CMOs well to think perhaps not necessarily about, quote unquote, the metaverse? And who knows if we'll call it that two years from now or whether it gets shut down altogether, but in more holistic terms about what seems like this, again, inexorable melding uh, between the physical and digital worlds and how to protect your brand in that kind of setting and what should inform that holistic thinking among CMOs? Yeah, I think so. In addition to the types of brand safety issues I was just mentioning about, you know, basically harmful or inappropriate content, brands really need to think about legal compliance and specifically about truth and advertising issues, such as FTC requirements that advertising be clearly identifiable as advertising. I mean, when you consider things like product placements, brand integrations, native advertising, you know, how will you be doing those to make sure that consumers know that what they're seeing is advertising? And it's important to keep in mind here, the FTC requirement that consumers have to know that something is an ad before they engage with it. So I think in the, you know, metaverse and the three-dimensional space, those challenges are going to be even greater. And that sort of plays into my next question, Mary, which is how critical is brand safety in engendering consumer trust? And for that matter, the role of self-regulation in engendering consumer trust? Yeah, I think, you know, it it is critical. I mean, at the end of the day, brands want and need consumers to trust them if they're going to have any sort of, you know, repeat business. So setting aside the fly-by-nights, right? And self-regulation really has the potential to play a role and has played a role over the years, both in terms of, as I mentioned, the the National Advertising Division uh, resolving competitor disputes about false advertising, but also in the privacy and data security space and other types of advertising issues where brands have voluntarily held themselves to a higher standard, kind of gone above what the law requires in some spaces to comply with best practices, to demonstrate that they care about issues of consumer trust. And during the ANA CMO Growth Council virtual event last December, some of the discussion revolved around a possible self-regulation program for accountability when it comes to advertising monetization on social media. Can you provide us with an update on the potential initiative and what CMOs and marketers might expect? Yeah, sure. So that's right. Eric Grayson, BBB National Program Chief Executive Officer, attended that that meeting. And he and I and others have been in conversation with Bob Leides and others about the potential role for a self-regulatory program to address content monetization and brand safety issues. And since then, we've had further discussions with ANA and with GARM, that's the Global Alliance for Responsible Media, and have started drafting an outline of of a program, basically building upon the framework that GARM already has with respect to brand safety, but with the idea of being U.S.-focused specifically, not global, and providing some sort of enforcement and accountability uh, mechanisms and remediation for brands when their ads end up appearing next to harmful content, whether it's below the brand safety floor or whether it's not consistent with the brand suitability standards. 
So the goal here is to create more trust in the system, to have some sort of, you know, a way of remediating errors. It's still very early stages in discussions, I will say. And so too early really to think about a timeline, but the next step is really to engage with the platforms and see if this is something, you know, that they want to build out. And you have a rare perch in the ad industry. You are a lawyer who also thinks like a marketer. And let's face it, most lawyers don't possess the marketing gene. So what advice do you have for CMOs and how their teams can work effectively with their in-house legal counsel and her or his team? Well, I'm not sure I have any great insight here, but of course, risk management is is important and in-house counsel are going to be assessing that risk, the risk of various marketing strategies. And and they, you know, they generally do want to get to yes, that's where they would like to be, but, you know, they're more likely to have their finger on the pulse of the potential for competitor challenges, for government investigations, class action lawsuits, or consumer backlash, et cetera. So I think it's really a matter of being clear about what level of risk you're willing to tolerate and coming at it from that standpoint. You can be clever, but not too clever. <laughs> okay, but then but then that means that the onus is on the marketer, in a sense, on the CMO to get to yes. Well, I think it's, I would say, and, and you know, coming from the, the lawyer perspective, understand that they want to get there. So when they're not there yet, it's because they really see something that needs to be addressed and, and working with them to, to try to get there. We'll be right back. Stay with us. We now take a break for a brief message regarding the ANA Growth Agenda. The ANA Growth Agenda plays an important role in boosting the value of the marketing and advertising industries. The 12-point plan supports a wide range of issues that are critical to the development of CMOs and marketers, ranging from diversity, equity, and inclusion, to sustainability, to brand safety. For more information, please visit ana.net slash growth agenda. And now back to our show. I'm speaking with Mary Engel, Executive Vice President at BBB National Programs, about brand safety and what CMOs need to know. Mary, in the context of brand safety, can you talk to having a cohesive approach, starting with buy-in from the C-suite? Yeah, actually, you know, I think it's it's ab- absolutely essential that there be excellent communication across the C-suite. So everyone is aligned with the goals and strategies for maintaining brand safety. But I also think the CEO and the CPO, the chief privacy officer, are really critical nowadays because you really have to think about issues concerning data collection and use and privacy practices to ensure not only that you're legally compliant, but also consistent with your customers' expectations. Okay, but let's uh, drill down there a little bit uh, in terms of how CMOs bolster their relationship with their CEO and senior members of the IT team. And can you give me some examples? Well, so if you're executing a new campaign, what data are you collecting? I mean, that's kind of part and parcel of any digital campaign, right? And are you being consistent with what you're saying about what data you're collecting? You know, what have you told consumers about that? So I think that's where your CPO comes in, for example. There are many CMOs who are aware of brand safety and have a strategy for that. But can the same be said for data safety? Well, I don't necessarily know whether CMOs really have a strategy for data safety, but if they don't, they should. (laughs) Um, It's absolutely essential, as I mentioned earlier, to be thinking about privacy by design and safety by design, baking those approaches in 
to the very beginning as opposed to try to retrofit afterwards. You know, that's why best practices generally urge things like data minimization, like in other words, only collecting the data that that you need and that you're using now, as opposed to just collecting vast troves of data and thinking, well, hang on to this in case it comes in handy later. Uh, whereas many companies like to do that and are doing that, it's actually very risky, not only because of data security concerns, whether it's a breach or whatnot, but ba- basically because you may not have gotten appropriate permissions and you know you may not have told consumers appropriately about what you're doing and that runs the risk of running afoul of various data privacy laws, especially outside the U.S., but now with different states and, and frankly, also violating your customers' expectations and, and sense of trust there. So it's really, I would say, important to have a data safety strategy as well. I wanted to talk about brand safety protocols and where they're headed in the industry, something we touched on earlier in the conversation. Uh, last year, the ANA and GARM expanded their efforts to combat hate speech to small and medium-sized businesses with an hashtag engage responsibly, uh, which was developed with the Brand Safety Institute. So can you talk to why this is an important initiative, You know what some of the elements are, and what kind of impact you think we'll have? Yeah, I think the Engage Responsibility Initiative, it's it's really a good example of advertisers embracing the power of diversity and inclusion, of advertising really being a force for positive change in society, and and also really the big brands demonstrating responsibility by providing resources for small and medium-sized businesses, right? Because that's a lot of what it is about, to make available resources for small and mid-sized businesses to combat hate speech, to have the necessary tools to combat hate speech. And, you know, and the flip side of that, or maybe not the flip side, but the real reason for it is being responsive to to consumers, to customers who are increasingly looking for brands who they feel are aligned with their own values and, and, and are expecting to see more proactive demonstration of those values. And, and, and so I think it's a definitely a positive a positive development and type of self-regulation for for the industry to engage in. Can you talk about some of the other new ad programs for self-regulation for advertisers that BBB National Programs is working on? What are the most pressing challenges for the industry right now? One of the challenges right now is with respect to the kids space. Um, (laughs) And, you know, advertisers have long recognized that that children are a different audience, that if you're advertising to kids, you have special responsibilities, taking into account their vulnerabilities, their lack of sophistication, lack of cognitive development, uh, and lack of, you know, real, even maybe even knowing they're being advertised to. And so we've had the Children's Advertising Review Unit looking at kids advertising for almost 50 years now, but the, the reason, the more recent challenges have been digital marketing, right? So KRU has been around the Children's Advertising Review Unit. KRU, for short, has been around for a long time, but and it has advertising guidelines, but those guidelines were really television-centric and kind of reflected how things were decades ago. So given that kids aren't even watching traditional landline, you know, linear television anymore, everything's streaming, 
they are on devices, on apps, games, et cetera. Um, there was a real need to update these advertising guidelines to reflect today's digital environment. And so Kiru undertook that updating uh, with input from the children's advertising uh, community uh, to really bring them into the, you know, now we're in the third decade of the 21st century already, um, and and to take into account all of the traditional limitations of kids, but how do you transpose that when kids are seeing um, things, you know, online ads or native ads or influencers and, uh, you know, on YouTube, et cetera. So that is a continuing challenge because one of the basic principles is that advertising has to be identifiable as advertising. And that is a challenge when you're talking to kids, especially in the digital space. So we've updated those guidelines to, to provide additional guidance and kind of guardrails around how to do that appropriately. Do you have an opinion uh, on Section 230 and what might become of that or whether it's just going to remain indefinitely? And Section 230, of course, protects uh, tech companies from uh, liability for uh, not 10, generally speaking. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised to see it amended eventually. I think it's going to be very difficult, though, because... While there is a lot of agreement that it needs to be amended, generally speaking, the right and the left agree for different reasons. <laughs> so I think it may be it may be hard for Congress to reach agreement on and what's the right way to amend 230. But I, I think that actually that's one of the ways that self-regulation comes into play and really shows its value is that that companies may well recognize that. Legally, they can't be held liable for content that users post, say, but nevertheless, they may want to take some responsibility for it if it's, if it, you know, if it contains false or misleading information, for example, about their brands, they may want to do something about it, even if they couldn't be held legally liable for it. So I think, you know, through some of our self-regulation programs, brands have shown that they've wanted to step up to the plate and do the right thing, even if legally they didn't have to. I want to come back to uh, circle back to uh, kids advertising and and talk a little bit about teenagers and what are some of the challenges facing brand marketers for that age group, uh, the alpha generation, which has been conditioned by the web. Are there any areas for teenagers uh, that marketers need to be aware of uh, when it comes to privacy and the use of data? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's interesting because in the U.S. we have a law protecting children under the age of 13 with respect to their online privacy. That's the Children's Online Privacy Protection Act, or COPPA, but there is no equivalent for teenagers. And yet one could make the case that they are just as much in need of protection. I mean, even though they're obviously much more cognitively developed, they have other issues, right? I mean, they're their brains are not fully developed. They don't have that executive control fully developed. That's why they engage in risky behavior. Of course, teens are notorious for underestimating the risks of certain behaviors. They also are um, have more buying power than younger kids. They spend much more time with social media and digital platforms. And they also have a greater need for autonomy than younger kids. So for all those reasons, they need still need to be protected more than adults 
need to be. And, and so there have been discussions about what can be done to help this, that particular age group. And to that end, the BBB national programs recently engaged with a number of different businesses that market to teens uh, across a number of different areas and developed uh, what we call a teenage privacy protection or TAP roadmap for those companies who want to do the right thing when they're engaging with, with teens in terms of protecting their privacy, but also helping to consider their, their safety. I mean, we've all heard about the potentially harmful effects of, of social media use, for example, have on, have on teens. And there are a variety of different safety considerations that come to mind when you think about teens' online engagement. So this TAP roadmap was really designed to consider what harms there are and then outline a number of different considerations for companies to look at as they're engaging with the teenagers. And, you know, it's too much detail for me to go into today, but but basically there are several guiding considerations set out in the roadmap where you have to think very carefully about your privacy practices, your data collection practices, what default settings you use, what sensitive information you may be collecting and retaining, you know, what choices you're offering your consumers and the teen users in particular, all with the mind to developing them in ways that avoid the harms. And the t- and the TAP roadmap really sets out um, with some detail the types of harms that different practices may cause. And as we start to wrap up, Mary, is it uh, marketers taking a Hippocratic oath, if you will, with uh, brand safety? Yeah, I love that image, the Hippocratic oath uh, for brands. Do no harm, both to your customers <laughs> and to your own brands, right? And to your own image in terms of, of the practices that you engage in and, and, uh, and where your ads are end up appearing. Okay, and we'll have to leave it there. To learn more about how CMOs and marketers can improve their brand safety strategy, please go to bbbprograms.org. Thanks so much to my guest today, Mary Angel, Executive Vice President at BBB National Programs. For the ANA Champions of Growth podcast, I'm Matthew Schwartz. Until next time, thanks for listening.